Turn with me over to the book of Malachi. Book of Malachi. We're going to finish our series on stewardship today. The title of the message is Bringing God What's His. Bringing God What's His. Malachi chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Verse 11. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. God help us as we study. Two things I'd like to discuss, and they are both from God's perspective. One, regret, and two, redress. Regret and redress. The entire book of Malachi is one that is a very long corrective uh, word. It's a rebuke, mainly to the priesthood of Israel, Judah, that has forsaken the proper worship of God. And there were prescribed things that the priests ought to do on behalf of the people. And the tribe of Levi was the people from whom God would choose his priesthood. And the priests have fallen away from the legitimacy and authenticity of their faith. They were to sacrifice animals that had no defect. And yet, they would go ahead and instead choose animals that nobody wanted because they did have a defect and sacrifice them. Less valuable did they give to God than what God required. They were divorcing their wives for any reason. It was horrible. Horrible. The inequities in that society were terrible. And he said, stop it. I, this is where God says, he, he, he rarely uses the word hate, but he does it here. I hate divorce. Treat your wives better. And here, he brings up the issue of distribution and stewardship of their finances. And he says, I want you to understand something, dear people. You, the entire nation of you, is not treating me well with respect to your resources. The whole nation of you are called thieves. You have robbed me. And the, sad, the saddest part of the scripture is the next phrase. How? How do... You're calling us thieves. What have I taken from you? I don't... And this was the only nation to whom God had given the requirement of tithing. The only one. They were the stewards and the Levites were supposed to be the ones who would administer the process of delivering the word to the people so that they could tithe. And for them to ask how when they had not done it, means they had not only forsaken the word, but they were so distant from the command that they had forgotten that it was important. The ignorance on their part was palatable. And it was beyond just the ignorance that we, could, we, we would describe as being unknowing. It was now stupid. See, ignorance that is unknowing is dumb. But when you know what you're supposed to do and don't do it, that's stupid. 
This had become stupid to where God had to now prophesy and say, you all are a bunch of thieves. God doesn't like to say nasty and hard things to people. He wants to be a loving God who presents truth in a way that encourages folks. But he's calling them thieves. And he doesn't want to, but he has no choice because they are that dense. They have become that dull spiritually. The only nation on the planet to whom God had given the privilege of tithing, and they forgot. And the only way you can forget, I'm going I'm to characterize it in two steps. The only way you can forget is that you don't read your Bible every day. And then you think your resources are yours. God owns everything. I realize your name is on your title for your car. I realize your name is on your deed for your house. I got that. But it's his. It's not yours. That name on that title, that name on that deed is simply to distinguish that it's not somebody else's on the planet. It doesn't mean it's not God's. He owns it all. The fact that he allows you to keep 90% is amazing. You're going to let me? Wow. They They were ignorant both in that they didn't know. And they didn't know because they had forgotten and they had become just stupid and greedy and wanting to keep that was theirs, which was, which they thought was theirs. Oh, these people were really messed up. And, and there are a lot of things I I want God to, to moniker me with, but, but the title thief is not one of them. I don't want the title of a thief. And they say, how are we robbing you? He says, in tithes and offerings. The whole nation of you have forgotten. Forgotten. And what's sad is that not not only did God give this kind of, of edict to them as a privilege so that they would understand the importance of it, but it started even before the command was made with Abraham, then called Abram, who had to rescue his nephew Lot from a... A, a, a war, war situation. Uh, his nephew lived in Sodom, uh, that, that partner city with Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah had been taken captive by another king. And all their goods and all their people were now, now enslaved and in the possession of somebody else. His nephew, Abram's nephew Lot, needed to be rescued. And Abram didn't want to go to war, but that was the only way he could deliver his his nephew back into his hands. And so he went to war, and he beat the the people who who had acquired Sodom and Gomorrah and all their goods, and rescued his nephew Lot, and brought everybody back and all the goods. And in this moment, there was there was a man named Melchizedek, and he came from a city called Salem. Now we we don't know anything about Melchizedek. The book of Hebrews gives us some degree of insight into who he was, but it doesn't give us enough to find out who he was. It just says he had no genealogy, no mom and dad. He just showed up, and he was called the king and priest of Salem. And then it begins in the book of Hebrews to describe him as kind of Christ-like and what we know to be in the Old Testament, a kind of a thing called a Christophany, which is an Old Testament representation of who Jesus was. It's that he may have appeared as this person. And the, the overlay is just, it's, it's, it's too much like 
like Christ, to, to ignore it. He was, the, he was the king of a city called Peace. And what was Jesus called in the book of Isaiah but the ruler, prince of peace? And you sit there and say, well, who was this guy again? And he comes out and he held the title of king and priest. Nobody else in all the Old Testament did both. In fact, there was one guy who tried to do both and it didn't work out well for him. His name was Uzziah. He was king. And he went in to try to do what the priest did and leprosy broke out all over him. So it didn't go. So nobody had ever held both of those. Yet this guy did. And so it almost seems like it was an Old Testament version, an appearance of the Son of God before he became that. And so we're sitting there looking at it, and, and, and Abram is amazed too. He's never seen this guy before. But Melchizedek comes out and offers him bread and wine. Again, you know, the, the, yeah, it's just too much like. Offers him bread and wine like communion, except it's a meal. And, and, and then Melchizedek says of Abram, Blessed be God most high of Abraham, and blessed be Abram, for you have gone and rescued. And why did he do this? This was unusual. Probably the reason was that I don't know that anybody shed a tear when Sodom and Gomorrah were taken captive. It was one of these, serves them right. And yet Abram, even though he had his nephew there, went and rescued them all. He did the unusual thing, rescuing people who didn't deserve it. Rescuing people who did not deserve it. See, Sodom and Gomorrah, they get an inaccurate rap. I didn't say a bad one, inaccurate. And that we believe that they were ultimately destroyed for one particular violation. But the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, doesn't say that's true at all. Now, it doesn't mean it couldn't have been a part of the recipe for judgment. Because what I'm about to detail allows for people who did the things I'm about to say to degenerate into a lot of different junk. But it does say in Ezekiel that I destroyed your sister, and he was speaking about Judah because Judah had become what Sodom and Gomorrah was. I destroyed your sister Sodom and Gomorrah because they were arrogant. They did not have any regard for the poor. They were at ease when it was a moment to give and be diligent to, to care for people. And they had no, no sense of, of mercy and kindness. I destroyed them for that. And nothing of the other thing that we think they are infamous for was mentioned. Though it may have been a part of the recipe. But God didn't say that's the reason I did it. My point is, these people had some really bad manners. And were extremely selfish. And did not have regard for anybody but themselves. As evidenced by what I'm going to say next. Here, Abram brings Sodom and Gomorrah back. The king of Sodom comes to him. And, and, and to the victor belong what? So Abram ought to get it all. The king of Sodom, who'd just been rescued by Abram, comes to Abram and says, I got a deal for you. You give me the people, I give you all the stuff. Now, what bargaining power does the rescued have? I mean, let's take a guy who just got bowled over by an avalanche in the Rockies. Some dog goes out and sniffs him out. Been there for a day under the snow. 
CNN's out, out there. The whole world, everybody is, yay, we found him. And he comes up 20 feet out of the snow and says, I want the, I want the rights to this story. Before you take me out of here, I want the rights to the story. CNN, you're going to have to pay me if you put this on the air. The sentiment would be to the people who are rescuing, would you like to stay? <laughs> who does that? What is the first thing the rescued say when they are rescued? Thank you. That's not what Sodom said. Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. This is why Melchizedek came out to Abram and said, nobody thought they were worthy of being rescued. They were really messed up people. And what you did was amazing. And when I think about my life, what God did for me, it's amazing. I wasn't worthy of being rescued. Yet he went and paid for me anyway. He fought for me anyway. Melchizedek said, there's nobody like you in the promised land. Nobody. Abram said to Sodom, you know what? They told me about you. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. They told me about you. Ah, now I know it to be true. Listen, I'm not taking a thing from you. Lest you say you made Abram rich and take all the credit for my, my effort. I'm not taking a thing from you. Take it all. And then Abram looks at the king and priest of Salem and it says he gave him a tenth of all. Why? Because he realized this. I could not have wrought this victory. He fought against five kings, five kingdoms. He had 318 men and a couple of guys that he met in the promised land, Pookie and Ray Ray. <laughs> Let me be fair. Anner, Mamre, and Eshkel, three brothers. But it, but it was a large family. And two large families go out and defeat four or five nations. I can't remember. That only happens by way of a miracle. And he realized, I would not have wrought this victory without my God. And he naturally just voluntarily says, let me give you a tenth. God thought that was so amazing. He said, I'm going to codify that because I, I don't know that I'll find enough people down the road who have your heart. So in order for them to get blessed, I have to command it. I'm going to codify that. I'm going to make it a law. God says, you're missing out on your blessing, Israel. And when he talks about the judgment on them, he says, you are cursed with a curse. Now, this is the only time in the Bible this language is mentioned. It's not that curse isn't mentioned. It is. But cursed with a curse. It actually means there's a double judgment that has come on your life. So... When you had the resources to tithe, you did not tithe. And as a result of not tithing, difficulty came on your life and you had less than you had before because I commanded you to do it and your disobedience caused judgment. As a result of the judgment, now you have less and now you can't tithe because you don't have it to tithe. So you are cursed with a curse. I don't know how many people have come to me as I encourage them to tithe and say, I can't afford it. I got this issue. I got that obligation. I got this. I got that. 
you're manifesting your curse with a curse. And reality is you, you, you really can't afford not to tithe. You just need to do it. Because it's God's. And please do not interpret from this message that I need your money. I was doing fine before you got here. God has provided for me for 36 years. He has been faithful to the vision of this house. And for that I am grateful. And with the money that that people have given, we are good stewards. You're sitting in a building that's paid for. Paid for. We didn't borrow a dime. Listen, hold on a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't clap anymore because I don't have time. I appreciate you, but I don't have time. We give you a report every year about our finances. Nobody here is getting rich. We don't believe in opulence, but we do believe in excellence. So we provide for our staff members well. There are pastors in the city that want to come here and say, will you please bring me on your staff? I can get paid here as a junior rather more than I get paid as a senior pastor over there. We want our people provided for. We provide for orphans. We, we do what we can for the community. We give away a lot of Almost 20% of our resources are sown to the world in the gospel mission. We believe in giving, 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 and we steward our resources well. We just finished our, our place up here for the youth, and it's not fully paid for yet because we haven't finished our campaign, and so the bills are still coming due and will till October, so we'll keep our campaign going. To, but we are $710,000 in the good for that toward a million project. We do finances. Well. Are we perfect? No, but we do them well. So I want you to know, I'm not looking to get your money. I'm not trying to get in your pocket. I don't need your money. I will ask for it, but I don't need your money. (laughs) But you need to tithe. You need to tithe because if not, you're going to continue to experience the judgment of God in the area of your finances. And you never want to be on the side whereby he has to rebuke you for theft. It's his money. And he doesn't even say, give the tithe. Point two. He says, bring it. Why? Because it's mine. He's not asking you to give what is his. He said, bring what is mine. And what will happen? Listen, he's, he's obligating us to give. It's a requirement. But it's a requirement only because you won't do it and he's trying to bless you when you do it. So he has to command something lest you think that somehow you're going to be blessed without doing right. Are, are you? So he says, listen, I want you to know what's going to happen when you do what you're supposed to do. I'm going to bless you even though it's a command that you do what you do. I don't know why in the world God treats us so well because we ought to obey even if we don't get something out of it. That's our responsibility. But he is so good that when we do what we're supposed to do, he says, let me bless you for it. So he says, I'm going to make sure that your vines don't cast their grapes in the field. Nor does the devourer, somebody who comes to steal or some disease that comes to afflict, begin to affect your harvest. That when you sow, you are actually going to reap. You're not going to spin your wheels at giving a lot of effort at something and never receiving anything back. I will protect every seed you put in the ground. That's what our God does. 
And go ahead and superimpose your occupation over the agrarian reference to, to grapes. All he wants to do is bless the work of your hands. He said, I will do this for you if you do what you're supposed to do and give me what's mine. And all the nations will call you blessed. Everybody will look upon you with envy. How'd you get that? We're at the same salary. How did you get that? Same pay grade. How, did, how does that work? Mm, I'm blessed. I'm just blessed. By, I mean, God, God's blessed me. He's just blessed me. You don't brag about anything that you've done. Your accomplishments mean nothing. You give all the credit and glory to God. But he just does stuff for you because he's your daddy. He's your daddy. He's your daddy. 15 seconds. 15 seconds. You docked me. You messed me. He's your daddy. He's your daddy. And if, if, if you're a daddy, you get this. I mean, when your children do right, when they do right, you just, you, it brings a smile to your face. You want to do right and make God smile. His disposition is always good toward you. Toward you. That's how he has predisposed himself. Let him shower upon you the blessings that come from your obedience. Do this. And if you don't like us, that's fine. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I get it. I sit on a stool. I wear a bow tie. I get it. I really do. I get it. I'm not your normal, average human being. I do everything different. Our church is different. Our building's different. Everything about what we do is different. So if you have someplace else you want to go, I get that. But tie someplace. Tie. Bring God what's his. And if anything today, I am his advocate. Don't steal anymore from him. I'm done. Love you, Lord. Help us to obey you. To honor you with what's yours.